All right, we are starting. <laughs> we're starting a new series uh, today, and I'm really excited about it. Um, uh, it's called sabotage. I'm calling it sabotage, and um, and, and the kind of the, the byline there is is how to wreck your faith. How to wreck your faith. So there are some things that you can do to kind of wreck your faith. Um, by the way, when I is anybody else like when you see sabotage, does anybody else want to go? I can't stand it. I know you planned it. Anybody else? <laughs> All right, just me. Just me. <laughs> we'll have to work that in one of these weeks. So, um, no, so this is what I've learned about my own life, and I'm sure you've learned about your life as well, is that there are certain things in life that if you engage in that thing, it can, it can wreck your life. So for me, like I try to eat right, and emphasis on the word try. Um, I, I really do. I try, I try to, you know, eat somewhat healthy. And, uh, and, and when I'm sticking to a really, really good diet, like a, you know, a, a meal plan that, that, that's really good and healthy for me, uh, which, you know, I, I try to, I try to low carb things. <coughs> and so what I've learned over the years is that, and if you've been here very long, you know, my favorite restaurant on the planet is Zachary's in Berkeley, uh, deep dish Chicago style pizza. It is off the chain, amazing. I love it so much. And so, what, but what I have learned is that if I am eating well and I eat Zachary's, I never return to my diet after that, <laughs> ever. Like, well, not ever, ever, but like for months and months and months, right? Like it is, Zachary's for me is a diet wrecker. I mean, it just absolutely, and I don't know why, I don't, it's not like I'm, uh, there's no decision there. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's like getting that extra hit of, 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 you know, your addiction or whatever, and, and it just totally derails you. But that's for me, it's something about Zachary's, if I eat that, I'm off the diet. Even if I'm trying to stay on the diet, I'm off the diet. It's like, it's almost like something switches in my brain. It's like, I'm, wow, I'm three days later, I'm like, I haven't even thought about my diet in three days. I was in, been a Zachary's fog, you know, for the last three days or whatever. And so what I've also come to learn is that there are certain behaviors or attitudes that can literally sabotage your faith if you're not careful. And so what we want to do for the next three weeks is I'm going to, I'm going to highlight three of those, and, um, and we're just going to talk about things that you either need to avoid or just completely rid from your life, uh, because some of these things I'm confident some of you actively are, are an active part of your life currently, and you need to like walk away from those things, come up with a new plan uh, to, because, because I'm telling you, these things are beginning to like chisel away at you and your faith. And because and, this is what I, what I believe about everybody in this room, or, or I don't think you would be here, is that everybody here sitting here this morning probably has a desire to grow in their faith, to like move closer to the Lord, or else you'd, you know, you'd be all like the other all losers still in bed right now, right? Or, or second service people, <laughs> right? And so. <laughs> And so, like, like I, I really believe that. I really believe that everybody here probably wants, to, has some sort of desire to grow in your faith. And, and, and so, if that's true, if, it, if that's, you know, definitely who you are, then I, I would just advise that you avoid these things we're going to be talking about for the next few days. So, the, what we're going to start with today is the concept of offense, offense, being offended. Uh, and that may, now, when I was little and I, uh, when I would think about, uh, you know, offense, uh, or being offended, I, I thought about it. <laughs> this is so stupid. I thought about it like in terms of like Bugs Bunny in a dress going, "Why well, I never, you know, that sort of thing. 
like, like somebody that got really offended or whatever. I, I'm, I'm using a lot of old school uh, TV references today. <laughs> so, um, but offense is not just some sort of false sense of offense. Offense is, is, is like when you get offended, when you get angry at, at, at people or whatever, when, when you know, they do certain, certain things, say certain things, maybe they're just being insensitive and maybe that's intentional and maybe it's completely unintentional. But a person who is offended on a pretty regular basis, and, 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 and I've said this a few weeks ago, and I know it's, I know it's offensive, so I'm giving you a heads up that this is offensive, uh, so don't be offended. Um, but, but as Northern Californians, we are some of the most easily offended people in the nation. It's just, it's just true. It's just true. And I love, I love being from Northern California. I love it. I love this place. I love the people here. But we are a sensitive group. We tend to be a sensitive group. You go East Coast, East Coast, you have to, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different matter out there. It's, they actively offend each other, you know, as a way of saying hello. And Northern Californians, I mean, we get offended for other people, right? That's, that's what we do. And so, um, and so, so, this is something I think that is especially dangerous to us and something to be aware of in our own lives. And now, I'm not trying to beat up anybody this morning. I'm just saying we all have weaknesses and just entertain for the next few minutes that this might potentially be a blind spot of yours, might potentially be a weakness that you have, and, 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 and let's hopefully make a commitment to kind of rid yourself of that, of that weakness. But we, we tend to be a pretty offended bunch, and, um, and this is what I know. Now, I've learned over... I wasn't always this. I mean, I was the stereotypical hot-headed redhead from the time I was born on. I mean, I, I could go to, you know, zero to atomic in like two seconds. And, and that, you know, and I've been that way for most of my life. But for whatever reason, over the, the last um, decade or so, probably, I, I feel like I, I'm pretty good at, it takes a lot to offend me. I'm, I'm not an easily offended person. Things roll off of me pretty, pretty, and, and I, it has to be. I've developed a, a thick skin in church life because church, so add Northern California to church people, and, and, and they're an extraordinarily offended group, you know, that sort of, so I've learned to be thick-skinned about things and just let, you know, whatever. I, I, it really, t- I mean, you have to come up to me and punch me in the face to, for me, pretty much for me to be offended, and then... I'm going to jail because I'm punching you back probably because I, that, that, does anybody else see red when you get hit in the face? That's me. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. Anyway, so, so like I'm, I'm pretty, I've gotten to be pretty good at not being easily offended, except, and here's, and, and I bet all of you have a similar except. And, and, and let me finish before you start laughing and, and think I'm in trouble. Um, except nobody in the world offends me like my wife offends me. You know what I'm saying? Not, not about my wife. Think about your own, right? Like, like, like nobody offends me like my wife, and I'm sure she could say the same thing about me, right? And, I'm, and, that's, and that is not a dig at her. That's a dig at me. Don't misunderstand me in that. That's a dig at me. I am far too easily offended when it comes to interactions with my wife, and that's on me. That's not on her. It's not like she just walks around trying to offend me. I'm, I'm a little too sensitive with her. And what, you know, the, my kind of guilt around that or conviction around that is that, and I've had this conversation with her, like, 
I, I need to learn to give you the, the same grace and leeway that I've learned to give other people in my life because not, that's not fair to you if I'm, every little thing you do offends me. That's, that's not right. And I'm sure you may have somebody else in your life, hopefully it's not my wife, that, that, that triggers you as well, you know? And, and so um, it, it, it very well could be me, though. <laughs> so I'm aware of that. Um, but anyway, you, you, might, you might have those people. But this is what I, I, what I know. I don't want to be that guy with anybody, and I, I certainly don't want to be it with my wife or with my kids or whatever. Um, and and what, I've, what I've learned from observing people is I have, and you've probably seen this too if you've been in church very long, um, people who get offended easily are also people who tend to bounce around from church to church to church to church to church. Because, I mean, if you're just waiting for somebody to kind of rub you the wrong way, and then you're then you're just going to bail and write write somebody off. Um, it's going to happen. We're all humans. We're all humans. We all make mistakes. We all we all say insensitive things. Anybody here ever said something insensitive that that you didn't realize was even insensitive? Yeah, three of us. We're a pretty good bunch here. Okay. Yeah, like like that that absolutely happens. I mean, I've said things that once I realized I offended somebody by what I said. I mean, it's just. Ah, uh, so cringy, so just, uh, it just rolls all over me. You just feel like garbage, right? I, I hate that. I hate, I hate offending people. Um, I love being able to be uh, um, a, uh, an instrument of the gospel to offend people, though. That's a guilty pleasure for me, actually, right? I, I, like, I like that. Um, but I don't want to personally, like, genuinely hurt anybody, right? And so, what I, like, I don't know... If you can sit, most people who are easily offended don't know that. But if you're self-aware enough to, to know that, like if you, were, if you could look over your life over the last several years and, and think of multiple times when you've been pretty deeply hurt or offended by somebody, then, then chances are you're a relatively easily offended person. And if that's you, um, can I just challenge you to, this morning to like have the guts to offer that up to God and go, God, help me change this about my attitude, about my behavior. And, and so I want to dive into a couple scriptures this morning um, that will kind of demonstrate this. So we'll go one old and one new. Um, Proverbs 19.11. This is a really great one. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Isn't that a great statement? It's to one's glory to be able to overlook an offense. And that, that's so true. When you, when you see somebody who should be offended and chooses not to be offended, isn't that real, like a really beautiful thing to witness that, to go, wow, wow, like I'm not sure I would have been strong enough to, to carry myself the way you carried yourself, but it's amazing that you did that, right? Like, it really is. It really speaks volumes about a person who's not so you know, wearing their emotions on their sleeve that, that, that every little thing just offends them, that they can... Eh, whatever, you know, like, like, like if you can develop some sort of attitude of who cares what people think of me, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be me and, and not, you know, stress over every little, you know, offense or whatever. That's a really great thing. James in the New Testament puts it this way. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's a, really great, that's a really great phrase, too. James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a, it's a really great way to think about that. Quick to, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, 
Because that anger is not, you know, that human anger, that's not what is, is God is wanting to produce. He's wanting to produce different fruits in our lives, right? And so that, that's, a, that's a good thing to, to strive for. So this is what I know that the more I read Scripture, especially, you know, in the New Testament, especially the words of Christ, the more I'm coming to realize, and we've talked about this a lot lately, but um, that we are called not to, not to just be people who say, I, I follow Christ, but we're called to be people who follow Christ by the way that we love each other. Like, that is the marker of who we are as Christians. Are we loving each other well? And Jesus takes it an uncomfortable step further and goes, are you even loving your enemy well, right? Your enemy. That's, that's tough. Anybody have a hard time loving your enemy? Yeah, yeah, again, same three people. That's good. <laughs> so, you, so, yeah, like, it is tough to love your enemy. It's, it's really hard for somebody that you know just just doesn't like you, they're out to get you, maybe it's somebody at work stabbing you in the back or, or whatever, or somebody that's out, you know, spreading all kinds of garbage about you, and you're finding out about this, and to actively go, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to love that person, versus, you know, getting their face, or, you know, flip the gossip around the other way, or, you know, whatever, like, it's, it's a difficult choice to make, and yet Jesus calls us to be a people that, the world will know that we're his followers by the way that we love each other, by the way that we even love our enemies. That's a tricky life to live. It's, it's difficult. Anybody who thinks that's easy, you're just fooling yourself. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's a hard, that's a hard thing to do. So, but if we're called to be, you know, if we're called by Jesus to be a people who, who love well, not an angry, offended bunch, then what, what does that actually look like? What's that actually look like to love someone well? And so I'm going to go to, you know, what's widely considered probably the most beautiful passage ever written about the topic of love. And of course, it's, it's, it's Paul's, uh, you know, words about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the one everybody reads at marriages and, and, um, and or at weddings and, um, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So it's okay to read at a wedding once in a while. It's kind of out of context. Because what Paul's really talking about, he's not talking about romantic love. He's talking about just the way we engage each other. All of us engage each other. This is what, like, if you're going to say you're Christ follower and that you love people. I remember as a kid, you know, you remember that loophole as a kid, that Christian loophole when you were a kid? You go, you go well, I don't like, I mean, I don't like that. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I love them, but I don't like them. Right? Remember that's, isn't that such a great loophole? Isn't that's a really great loophole. And, and, but we, we play that, you know, you know, it's easy to kind of play that. I don't have to, you know, I'll, I'll love them because God wants me to, but I'm, I don't like them, right? Well, that's not really what Christian love looks like. And I know I mean, we're just different people, so we're not always going to like each other the same way we like other people, you know, that maybe we're more alike with. Uh, but, but it's more than just saying, well, I, I guess I love them you know, if I have to, because Jesus loves me, right? It's more than that. There's more to it. And what Paul does in this really beautiful uh, set of verses is that he takes the idea of emotional love and flips it on its head and says, no, 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 love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is an action. We love not by the, way we, by the words that we say. We love not by the, by the feelings that we have. We love by the way we actually act towards people. 
by, by our actions. And this is what he says. Listen to this. This is so great. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Listen to this. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Ouch. Not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love is consistent, right? It's going to keep coming, keep coming back. It never fails. Like that, I love, like Paul does this so well several times in the book of Romans and, and you know, throughout other portions of his letters too where he gives us these little, really great checklists, checklists for life. And a lot of, sometimes it's checklists of different types of sins or, or, or whatever, you know, but this is a really great checklist of what love actually looks like. <coughs> when I was dating Jamie in college, I remember in my Bible I had uh, above this passage kind of written in, in pencil, um, you know, um, advice for dating Jamie, right? And so anytime I would get mad at her, um, my first reaction was to, I was going to open this up, I was going to look at it, and first I was going to ask, is there any one of these things I'm not doing? I'm, isn't that, don't you do really beautiful things when you're dating people? <laughs> You do really, you do that was really. Beautiful. I need to start doing that again in my marriage. Um, I do it occasionally, but not nearly as regular, regularly as I used to. But it's it is a really beautiful kind of checklist, a self checklist to kind of go. Don't use it on other people. Like don't don't go. Okay, I'm going to look at you and see which one of these things you're not doing. Right? That's going to go. That's going to go really bad for you. So just a self, It's a good self checklist to kind of go down through that. You know, if you're having some conflict with somebody. Uh, and again, we're not talking necessarily romantic relationships, we're just any relationships. Having some conflict with somebody to kind of, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to kind of go down through that and going, okay, am I in this, when it comes to this person who's like irritating the tar out of me, as an Oklahoma word, love, you know, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am I envious or being boastful? Am I, is this my pride getting in the way? You know, am, am I being too easily angered? Am I, am I keeping a checklist of all the crud they've done to me? in my life so I can throw it in their face later, you know, all these kind of things, you know, and, and, and kind of work through that personally, uh, you know, do that self-check for yourself. And then, because what I've come to learn is that because this is such a highly beautiful, high standard of love, like 99.9% of the time I can find something on that list that I'm probably deficient in, right, with, with my relationship with anybody, I can look at that list and go, okay, I could do better this way. Maybe, and, and, and also what I found is that when I, when I try to live up to that standard that I'm missing, oftentimes that's the missing piece of that relationship that was preventing peace from happening, right? And so it's just, again, this really beautiful self-checklist. We need to be a people motivated by Love. So, so this is kind of the big point for, for this, is that to stay, offended, to, to stay offended is to actively reject life in Christ. If we've been called, if life in Christ looks like loving each other and loving each other well, then to, for you to choose to be offended or to, or to stay, sometimes you can't always choose to be offended. Sometimes you just are. But you can choose to stay offended, right? And when you choose to stay offended, 
You are actively rejecting life in Christ because that's the life that he's called you into to be a person who loves well. And you are kind of in the face of Christ going, no, I'm not going to follow you in this. I'm not going to look like you in this. I'm, you know, whatever. And you, you fill in your own excuse here, right? To actively, you know, to stay offended is to actively reject life in Christ. Now, when we give up being offended, now, and, and, and it is a choice, it really is. At some point, I've been offended more times in my life than I can count, just like you. And what I've learned is that, is that when I decide, make a decision to give up the offense, in other words, I make a decision, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to let this hang over my head anymore, I'm not going to hang this over that person's head anymore, I'm going to give this up, I'm going to let it go, I'm going to let it go, I'm going to move on. When we do that, what we're doing is that we're actually giving up our expectations that we should be receiving something from that person. Because none of us like to think this about ourselves, but the truth is, a lot of times we approach each other like consumers. What can I get out of you? Now, you don't actually say those words out loud. And you probably, they probably don't even really roll in your head in that exact phrase. But the way you actually engage a person, the way you actually, what your expectations are of a person, maybe a little bit more consumeristic than you think. And you're, what can I get out of this person? And if I'm not getting what I feel like I need to be getting out of this person, then I'm going to remove that person from my life. This is why so many divorces happen. This is why so many divorces happen. Why? Because I'm not getting from you what I feel like I should be getting. And so... I've got to let you go. I know it's more complex than that, but a lot of times it boils down to at the heart of it, at the core of it, that. And so we give up these expectations that we're going to receive from people, and instead we become servants towards people. I remember uh, several years ago having a conversation with somebody who there was a lot of tension between them and their uh, adult children. And, um, you know, the adult children had kind of written them off and just didn't really want to be a part of their life anymore. It was very painful for them, as you can imagine that would be. Very painful for them. And, and I remember talking through that with them. And they, you know, they, they were asking, you know, how do we get back into their lives? And, and my, my advice to them was, you, you got to serve them. You might feel like right now you need to teach them a lesson. You might feel like right now that you need to you know, stick to your guns or whatever, but if you really want to get back into favor with them, serve them. Find ways to really and genuinely serve them so their defenses will come down. They'll be more open to talking with you. You can have some productive conversations, that sort of thing, but serve your way back into their lives. Serve your way back into their lives. And when we choose to give up offense and really and truly release it, we stop being consumers of people and we start becoming servants of people. We stop approaching people as consumers and instead we approach them as ourselves being givers into their lives, right? So, now that's easier said than done. It's, 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 that's a tricky move and it requires the crushing of a lot of personal pride it requires the crushing of a lot of, you know, your own agendas and your own, your own offenses. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's easy for me to, in a couple of minutes, say, do this. But you guys know living that out can be tricky and hard and painful, and I, and I get that. But it's so worthwhile. 
It's so worthwhile. Like, I just don't, I don't want to be that guy. And I don't think you want to be that guy or that gal either. I don't want to be that guy who just walks around. You ever met those people that, uh, uh, there's a family that's popping in my head, there's nobody here, but um, there's a family that's popping in my head right now that this family is so dysfunctional. Nobody, like for multiple generations, nobody in this family talks to each other. None of them. And they will not let it go. Absolutely will not let it go. Now, they're, individually, they're all beautiful people. Individually, they're, they're, they, they could possibly be a great friend, somebody you might want to hang out with. But in the dynamic of that family across three or four generations, none of them will speak to each other. Isn't that, I mean, does anybody want that to be your story? Does anybody want that to be your life? Like, like have the humility, have the love to kind of go, you know what? I don't need this in my life. It's more important that I have you in my life. Now that's easy with a family, or easier, I should say, with a family member versus somebody who's like your total enemy at work, who you don't care one lick whether they're in your life or not, right? But we're still called to even engage the same way with them. Like there should be, like, do we do you really get the sense that we are God's instruments? kind of the delivery system for grace in people's lives. And I know you get theological on me and tell me, no, 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 technically the cross was the delivery system. And you know, Okay, okay. But you know what I'm saying. Like God uses us to introduce people to him. God uses us in the way that people see us love well to demonstrate his love for us. And use it. So, if that's the case, then for us to stay offended in a situation is to say, basically, my pride is more important than the gospel. My pride is more important than the gospel. And again, we're all, we're all here on a Sunday morning, first service, so you guys, you know, you get bonus points, right? And so I, I, I know none of you want to do that. None of you want to be offensive to the gospel. But when we we, we have such a blind spot when it comes to our pride and our anger and our things. You know, you, you, you can, some of you right now, right now as I'm talking, you are building up your defense of, no, no, this situation is different, Jeff. This is different. <laughs> and, I, and I get it. I've, been, I've had those different situations too. I have. But the thing is, is that when ultimately it's not different. Ultimately, it's, it's are you going to choose the gospel? Are you going to choose life in Christ, the life that Christ has called you to? Or are you going to choose your own selfish agenda? We talk a lot here about spiritual maturity. Like we all come to faith in Christ and we're all kind of babes in Christ and immature in our faith. And immaturity is okay. We all start off immature. That's one of the stages of maturity, right? But we're all moving towards maturity. And so sometimes part of the Christian life is you need somebody to look at you and go, grow up. Grow up. Like it's not about you. Who here has parented, you know, teens at some level and used those exact words on them? Dude, this is not about you, right? Yeah. And so maybe, maybe that's what Scripture does to us occasionally. Paul, in this really beautiful way, you know, writes this really poetic, beautiful passage about Scripture. And basically what he's saying is like, grow up. It's not about you. It's just not about you. In fact, he goes on and he says, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if you, if you can speak in tongues of angels, and if you can, you know, move mountains and do all kinds of miracles, he's like, it's nothing more than a clanging gong 
It's just annoying to God if it's not also coupled with love, if it's not driven and motivated by love. So that's what... Now, now sometimes the, when we're talking about offense, it's not, a, it's not people that we're offended with. Sometimes we're actually offended by God. Anybody here ever been offended by God? I've been offended by God. I'll, I'll, I'll be the only one this morning. I've been offended by God. God God has definitely unrolled things in my life or the lives of people that I have cared about, and I have felt myself going, what's up, God? What is up? This person loves you. This person person is living on mission for you. Why cancer? Why whatever? Why, Why lose their job? Why get fired? Why death? Why, you know, all the, like... Isn't this one of your servants that you love, that is serving you, that is like all in for you? Like why? And so I, there's been plenty of times in my life I've been offended by God. And so sometimes when life hits really hard, it's hard not to be offended by God. Now, I want to read this, a couple of verses to you from uh, the book of Luke. It's such a great little story. So, so what was happening here is that this is early on in Jesus' ministry. And his cousin, the prophet, John the Baptist, was still on the scene. And John, John's role was to kind of prepare the way for Jesus as the Messiah. Um, apparently, they hadn't, even though they were cousins, they hadn't talked much about this because John wasn't really sure that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought maybe, but he just wasn't quite sure. And so, but long story short, John's ministry was so controversial to the people in that region or to the, actually to like the government officials, to the king that eventually he was arrested and put in prison. And so John's wasting away in prison, and he's like, okay, I've done everything that God has asked me to do. Um, I went out and preached. I've been baptizing people. I've, done all, I've even baptized. Jesus even came out, and I baptized him, right? He's doing all this stuff, and, and now he's sitting, away, sitting in prison, rot, rotting in a jail cell. And so some of his followers, he had his own disciples, some of his followers come along, and he's like, I need you to go talk to Jesus for me. He's like, Go, go ask him, basically, are, are, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And, and there's something behind John's request to do that because I think in John's mind, he's like, okay, if I've picked the right horse here and Jesus really is the Messiah, then surely I'm getting out of jail, right? Like he's going to work this out for me. This is all going to go well. So, so the messengers go to Jesus and they ask John's question. This is where we pick it up, uh, Luke 7, uh, verse 22. It says, so he replied to the messengers, Jesus. Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now this, these words, Jesus chose these words very carefully because all these things were things that were prophesied that would happen when the Messiah came. So this is Jesus saying, absolutely, I'm the Messiah. Everything that's, that was said was going to come to pass is coming to pass. And then he follows it up with this, but he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And if, you, if you're reading ESV or some other versions, it'll say, blessed is anyone who's not offended because of me. Blessed is anyone who doesn't get tripped, tripped up because, yes, I'm the Messiah, but blessed is the man who's not going to get offended, who's not going to get tripped up, who's not going to stumble because of me. And this is Jesus' way of going, yes, I am that Messiah. And no, you're not getting out of jail. And I need you to be okay with that. 
That is not news that as if we were like rock-solid, sold-out followers of Jesus Christ doing everything that he was calling us to do, that's not news that any of us would want to hear back from the Lord, right? None of us. We would just assume we've been obedient. You know, God's going to pull a, you know, Peter and Silas in prison and give us an earthquake and rock us out of the jail cell. It's all something's going to happen like that. You know, he's going to take care of this in some way. In fact, what happens is John stays in prison and is executed. Is executed. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why God didn't intervene in that. I don't know why. We know he had the power to. Absolutely has the power to. But God is God and we're not God. And sometimes we don't know all the reasons why. And I think it's really important for us to remember that we're not God. Isaiah puts it this way. He says um, in chapter 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like, we're just not God. We don't think like God. We don't, we don't function like God. God's got a view of creation and a view of time that we don't have. He sees the big picture when we see a small part. Plus, he's, he's us trying to understand the mind of God is, is just this exercise in futility. There's no way. There's not, would you even want to worship a God that you could understand his mind? Like, like he, is on a, he is a different being. He's not some human up on a cloud. Like He is a completely different life uh, form. He is totally different than we are. Us trying to understand him would be like, you know, our, our, an ant trying to understand us. It, it, it's, it's just not going to work. It's going to, it's something completely outside of the realm of possibility for us to understand. And what we know is that God doesn't cause every evil thing to happen, but what he does is oftentimes he takes this really beautiful, he has this really beautiful way of taking the evil things that do happen in our life and twisting them and working them and shaping them into something that's really good and beautiful and righteous. We have to be patient to get to that point. That means we have to go through the hard time to get to that point and to see it on the other side. None of us want to do that. None of us like that. So let's try not to be like always offended by God when things don't go our way. Now, here, here's, this is a hard truth I'm getting ready to share with you. Ready? To be offended by God is to assume that he is in debt to you. To allow yourself to be offended by God is to assume that he is actually in debt to you. He owes you because you've been going to church. He owes you because you finished 12 version reading plans in a row. He owes you because you put some extra in the plate. He owe, I mean, like we, we, we do this and... and, and Again, none of us would ever say it out loud. None of us would ever maybe have even thought those words. But the way that we're living our lives says different. It says, I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. So that means I kind of have God over a barrel. Good things are going to happen to me in my life. And God owes us nothing. He owes us absolutely nothing. Let go of your offense towards God. It's, you can't control being offended. You can control staying offended. I've seen people offended by, and you've seen it too, offended by God, walk away from church and just walk away from faith. They're away from faith for decades, maybe forever. Because somebody treated them wrong, because something didn't go 
uh, the way it was supposed to go because somebody got sick and died because a marriage fell apart because whatever. I mean, fill in the blank here. Life happened. I don't want to minimize that. I know that's painful, deep stuff. I don't want to minimize people in church hurting people. I, I, I've been hurt by, deeply hurt by people in church. Um, I, you know, I grew up in church. It, I, I've got horror stories of the way I've been offended by people in church, abused by people in church. But I, I just, I'm not going to let some person get between me and God because that's a totally different matter. Sometimes God chooses to intervene in the way that we hope he intervenes. Sometimes God intervenes in the way that we didn't want or didn't see coming. But God is always at work. He's always at work. To be offended by God is to assume that he's in debt to you. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to be that person walking around like I feel like God owes me something. This kind of brings me to the, the last offense I want to talk about. Um, so sometimes we're offended by people. Sometimes we're offended by God. But there's a whole other area of offense that takes place, and Paul talks about it in his, in his letter called Romans, and it's in chapter 5, and he says this. He says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's a really beautiful verse. That's one of my favorite verses in Romans. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And there's a, a phrase there that it's really easy to gloss over. Did you miss the part? Did you catch the part that God loved you and rescued you, died for you, when? When? While you were still his enemy. You know who does have an absolute, divine, universal, cosmic right to be offended? Not you. God. God. His whole creation has lived in rebellion of him from the beginning. He has a right to be offended. But this is a really thing, beautiful thing about the gospel and the really beautiful thing about what God has put in place since the beginning of time, since those opening chapters of Genesis and on through his covenant with Abraham and on through his covenant with Israel and on through what he accomplished through Jesus Christ and what he's currently accomplishing through the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and all of it wrapped up in one big, beautiful spiritual burrito, right? Like all of us are just, he's doing something so amazing. He's accomplishing some, such a beautiful, beautiful plan. And this is that, that the gospel cures offense. You offended God, and he had no reason to forgive you, no reason to release that offense. There's nothing that you or I could do to cure that problem. And through the gospel, the good news that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, and he came to set everything right and set this path forward for, for eventually all things to be set right, the gospel cures offense. And that is the reason we call it the gospel is because it is indeed good news. That's the best news you're going to hear all day. That as offensive as you are, as offensive as I am towards a holy, perfect God, the gospel is the cure to that. Amen? The gospel is the cure to that. Like you have hope through Jesus Christ to actually be able to stand in the presence of a holy, perfect, righteous, just God. Why? Because the gospel 
cures all offense. And as the gospel cures the offenses that you have made, allow the gospel also to kind of penetrate your heart and uh, to cure your own offendedness towards others. To cure that, like I'm telling you, some, some of you people have come into this room today just locked up in bondage by, by hate, by anger, by being offended, just locked up. It is tormenting, playing with your mind. It is causing extra wrinkles and gray hairs. It's causing, I mean, all of that stuff. And the greatest freedom that you could experience today for some of you is to just go, I don't need this anymore in my life. I'm just going to release this. I don't need it. I've carried you long enough. But here's the tricky thing about offense. Offense, um, offense is like a teddy bear. Man, you snuggle up to a fence, it'll make you feel good. It'll make you feel good. Oh, I get so comfortable. Like, I'm used to it. Can't imagine letting it go at this point. It's like, it's, like, it's like a comfortable chair that you have just sat in for years and years. Now it's just like, it's not comfortable to anybody else because now it just holds your shape, right? That's, that's a fence, man. You hold on to that and it, it, it feels right. It feels good. And some of you, the scariest thing that you can entertain is letting go of you being offended and releasing that and choosing not to be. But I'm telling you, there's freedom there. There's absolutely freedom there. That's worth it. It's worth it. Who are we to withhold forgiveness from others when we've been forgiven so much? Who are we? Let's pray that we can be more like Christ in this area. The last thing I want to see happen to any of you is that you allow offense to wreck your faith. And you may think, no, nah, nah, I'm solid. Me and Jesus are cool. It's not going to wreck my faith. I'm telling you, it's a ticking time bomb. It's a ticking time bomb. And you need to learn to let it go. Pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And he has something, something to say in it about forgiveness to us too. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you call us to a life beyond offense. God, help us to become a people who just can't be offended. That we live life in, in, in so much in the present and in so much joy and so much in you that we just can't see being offended and allowing ourselves to remain offended. Um, teach us to love the way that you loved us. Teach us to forgive the way that you've forgiven us. As we've just prayed, as you taught us to pray, forgive us in the way that we also forgive others. Like, Lord, we just love you. And we, we completely recognize that when it comes to love, we're amateurs. Um, we all have a long way to go. But shape us into someone that looks more like you and help us to be that person. We love you. And we ask that you would just lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. All right. Everybody come back next week. We're going to be talking about fear. That's a big one. Fear. All right. See you later.